0: When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road to the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And so God led the people around by the desert road up towards the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. And so after leaving Sukkot, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And by day, I love this, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night. In other words, no matter what the circumstances are, I need you to know that I'm with you. I need you to know that I'm with you, that I'm guiding you and I'm helping you. And I'll give you light at night and I'll give you a cloud by day. And when I call you up out of Egypt, I'm not just casting you into uncertainty. But every single step that you take, I will be with you, guiding you. Guys, God didn't start being Emmanuel when Jesus arrived on the scene. God has always been and will always be our Emmanuel. Even if and when it's difficult to see, he is our Emmanuel. He is with us. And so neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And the Lord said to Moses, now tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near pi Haheroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. And Pharaoh is going to think, I want you to note this, Pharaoh is going to think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart And he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And so the Israelites did this. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God leads his people up out of Egypt, and every intention that God has for his people is good. The intention of God is to take them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where they can lie down and sleep and not be afraid, a land where nobody will oppress them. And so he brings them up out of Egypt and he starts leading them and guiding them. And the scripture says here in verse 17 that he didn't lead them through the Canaanite country, the Philistine country, though that was shorter, because he thought if they go that way, there's a good chance that they'll face war. And if they face war, they'll either be annihilated or they'll turn back to Egypt. Those are both. That option. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead them down by the Red Sea. And the Lord knows that if he leads them down by the Red Sea, Pharaoh is going to see them kind of just like, what are they doing by the Red Sea? It's a stupid thing to do. Maybe they're confused. Maybe they're leaderless. They're vulnerable. And Pharaoh is going to think to himself, oh, here's an opportunity to go and get these formerly enslaved people back. By the way, Pharaoh doesn't really want to let these people go. Pharaoh knows that if the people of God leave Egypt, his economic engine is crippled. And so he's going to seize the opportunity to march up against God's people and to re-enslave them and to bring them back. This right here is the first test that the Israelites face. By the way, the time between the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and our being brought into the family of God and his second coming is a time of testing, whether you know it or not. This space that we're living in right now, the time that we're living in, theologians call it the already but not yet. That the kingdom is already among us, that the liberation has already taken place, and yet there is something that we're waiting for, aren't we? That we're not in the space of full and complete deliverance, and this time between is a time of testing. And here, God's people experience a test. Will they turn back and go to Egypt, or will they trust God and move forward? I want you to look down with me at verse, if you have Bibles in front of you, look down at verse 10. The scripture says that as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians. We don't have this up on the screen because I'm pulling an audible. So just so you know, it's all okay here. There were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Why why have you done this to us by bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and die than die in the desert. And doesn't it feel like that sometimes when you're in the difficult zone? You go, man, it would have been better for me to just stay where I was than have to face this obstacle that I'm in the middle of right now. And Moses answered the people don't be afraid. Everybody say, Don't be afraid. Fear. Do you know that this is the most oft repeated command in Scripture? It's not don't murder other people and don't lie and don't cheat and don't steal and don't commit adultery. All of those things are certainly prohibitions in Scripture. But do you know what the number one command in Scripture is? Fear not! Fear not! Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. I'm with you. I know you. I have good plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We have difficulty trusting this. Moses says to them, don't be afraid. Stand firm, he says, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Okay. Here are the people of God. They are hemmed in between the wall of water that is the Red Sea and the wall of violence and slavery that is the Egyptian army. And Moses rightly says to them, hey, guys, don't fear. God is going to do something. You just need to be still, stand firm, and God is going to take care of this whole thing. But know what God does, what the Lord says in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, what are you crying out to me for? I love that. Like, hey, Moses, you're not without resources here. Okay, there still is something for you to do. You have agency that has yet to be exhausted. You remember that staff that I gave you, he says. Tell the Israelites to, what does the text say? Move on. You get your feet moving. And you, Moses, you take that staff that I gave you, the staff of my authority and my power, You take that staff and you stretch your hand out over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army through his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. When I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen, then the text says, The angel of God, who had been traveling in front of the army, withdrew and went behind them. In other words, to create a wall between them and the Egyptians. Okay. And he withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side. I love that. And light to the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. The Lord knows the incapacity of his people. So he creates this wall between them and the Egyptians. And I love that, that the Egyptians experience the presence of God as terror and darkness, while the people of God experience the presence of God as provision and light. There's something to that. By the way, God is always the same God. He never changes, He cannot change. If He could change, He wouldn't be God. <laughs> I am the same yesterday. Today and forever, the Lord says. But the way that we experience God has a lot to do with where we are in relationship to God. And so the Egyptians experienced the presence of God as terror and darkness, while the Israelites experienced it as presence, provision, light. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. And he turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And the, Israel, the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen followed them into the sea. In other words, they go, oh, here's an opportunity for us. If you're going to cross the sea, we're crossing the sea too. But during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army, and he, what does the text say? He threw it into confusion. God works both sides of the street. He's working for us, and he's working with us, And he's also working in the midst of the camp of the enemies of God. And he's working out his purposes for them and in them, even when it doesn't seem like it. And God in this moment snaps his fingers. And the Egyptian army, the most well-trained and organized army the world had yet seen, all of a sudden, it's in confusion. And he jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians all of a sudden said, let's get away from the Israelites. Here's the moment of recognition. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. God's word begins to come to pass that the Egyptians even see that Yahweh is greater than their gods. If Yahweh can throw their army into confusion, if Yahweh can do this for them, then Yahweh is greater than the gods of Egypt. Can I get an amen? And the Egyptians begin to see it. God starts gaining glory for himself. They're acknowledging the name of Yahweh even while they're in confusion. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand one more time over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Egypt is lying dead on the seashore. God has provided for his people But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the seashore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. One more time, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, thanks be to God. The Israelites have come up out of Egypt. The great moment of deliverance has taken place. God in Egypt broke the might of Pharaoh. God, by his signs and wonders in Egypt, provoked Pharaoh to let the people of God go. And so they come up out of Egypt with rejoicing. Here is our liberation. Here is our freedom. And you have to think that the people of God coming up out of Egypt thought, and now we're all going to live happily ever after, roll credits, Everything is going to be easy and wonderful and hunky-dory. And to their great shock and dismay, brothers and sisters, it is not so. The moment of being delivered up out of Egypt does not mean that their troubles or their difficulties end. It means that their troubles and their difficulties have just begun. Can I get a witness? The life of faith is not a life of being delivered into ease. The life of faith is a life of being delivered straight into the heart of challenge. It appears that the God of Israel is not overly concerned with sparing his people from difficulty. <laughs> We're just encouraging everybody this morning. New Life East, positive and encouraging. You got to love it. God is not overly concerned with sparing his people from difficulty and challenge. And we learn when we read the text of Scripture, verses 17 and 18 of chapter 13, that when Pharaoh let the people go, God didn't lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. It turns out that even though the Israelites might have been standing at the Red Sea, bickering and complaining to Moses about the difficulty in front of them, that there would have been difficulty wherever they turned. So God goes, okay, if they go this direction, they'll face war, and they're probably not ready for that. They'll get annihilated. Option number one, can we all agree? Option one, bad option. Okay. Option number two, they go back to Egypt, and the Egyptians, because of their anger and their frustration at the Israelites, exact vengeance on them for leaving in the first place. And so probably the the Israelites, even if they don't die in that moment, their lives will eventually be ground to powder by slavery. Option number one is war and annihilation. Option number two is slavery and annihilation. We've got two bad options, don't we? Or there's option number three. And option number three is that I'm going to do a miracle for them by having them pass through the heart of the Red Sea. Option one is war and annihilation. Option two is slavery and annihilation. Option three is you plunge yourself into the heart of the sea and you trust that there's a miracle. Guys, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a deep, you know, incredible thinking biblical scholar to let you, like, these are bad options. There are no good options for the people of God. And uh, maybe this is news to you. Maybe it's not. But more often than not in our lives, there really are not good options in front of us. And it'll take a miracle to get us through. And I know that sometimes when we sign up for faith, what we think that we've signed up for is for a life of ease, a challenge-free existence of total and complete spiritual bliss and unending material prosperity. It's not true. But many of us have bought into that. We've believed the lie that when we've been delivered up from sin and death, what it means is that we've been delivered into a life of ease and prosperity and everything is wonderful and it just works for me all the time. It doesn't. But when we believe that, it pollutes us in our souls, doesn't it? Because then as as soon as we start walking through difficulty and challenge, we think, well, there's something malfunctioning. But something's wrong with the system. Something's broken in me. Something's broken in God. I don't know what's going on. But I'm here to tell you this morning that if you're in a space of difficulty, that if you're in a space of challenge, if you're in a space where things are hard, if you're in a space where things are not going the way that you wanted them to, you're doing just fine, sister. (laughs) Welcome to the party. God does some of his best work. Inside that, God does some of his best work inside that and around it and through it. Look down with me at Luke chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn there. It'll be up on the screen. This has always been the case with the people of God. But God is the Lord even of our challenge, and he is the Lord over us and through us right through the challenge. Hardly ever was this more true than in the life of Jesus. Look at verse 21 of chapter 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heavens were opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Can you imagine what this moment was like for Jesus? The young man, 30 years old, he had grown up in Nazareth of Galilee. The Lord began stirring in him. He comes to the waters of the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing. And this is the moment of his unveiling. And he goes and he's baptized by John the Baptist who sinks him in the waters and raises him back up again. And in that moment of coming up out of the waters, the scripture says that the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. Many saw it that day. They saw God's affirmation falling from the heavens upon Jesus' life. And then the heavens are torn open. And the voice of God descends from the heavens saying, This here, this is my beloved Son. With Him I am well pleased. What a moment of affirmation. What a moment of validation for Jesus. And yet look down at chapter 4 and verse 1. The very next thing that happens for Jesus. Jesus... Full of the Holy Spirit. Left the Jordan and was, say it real loud. Into where? Where for 40 days he was what? By who? What? (laughs) Wait a minute, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and the voice of affirmation and all of that. And the Spirit begins to move on Jesus and leave Jesus. And all of a sudden now Jesus is. He's walking into where? He's walking into the the wilderness. Into a place of desolation, into a place of emptiness, into a place of fear, into a place of temptation. And there for 40 days he is tempted by the devil. I thought you were like I thought Jesus was the beloved son, Jesus. Saying to the Father, Father, I thought that I was full of your Holy Spirit. I thought that everything was good. I had this moment of recognition. I thought we were all going to live happily ever after. No. What the Spirit does is the Spirit sends him into that place of wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And something in Jesus hardens, crystallizes during that period of testing. Look down at verse 14. That after this 40 days of being tested in the desert, the Scripture says that Jesus returned to Galilee. How? How? Oh, I'm going to need you to do better than that. Jesus returned to Galilee, how? In the power of the Spirit and the news about him began to spread. That time in the wilderness for Jesus, that time of testing, that time of having his obedience hardened, that time was critical for him becoming all that he needed to become for humanity. And Hebrews, and I know that that's scandalous to our Orthodox minds, we go... Well, isn't Jesus, he's fully God already. There's nothing that really needs to, but he was subject to the constraints of human development. And the scripture says in Hebrews that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Okay? That there was something in the human Jesus that got hardened during that time. This is what God does, brothers and sisters, that he'll send us into that time of testing, of challenge, of struggle, to work good things in us. God does not save us from the waters of challenge and struggle. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that he saves us through the waters of challenge and struggle. Oh, we wanted a God that would just get us out of every jam, didn't we? We wanted a God that when we sent up smoke signals to heaven, God went, ooh, snatches us up out of the difficulty. But it turns out That God does not just save us from difficulty, but he saves us through difficulty. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. That he saves us through difficulty and he saves those around us through difficulty. This is who our God is. And this is how he must work on planet Earth, by the way. Nothing on planet Earth is just going perfectly according to plan. Guys... The world that we live in is full of difficulty and struggle. There are many forces at work in the world the force of sin and death and darkness and the devil. And so God must work inside of those things to create his purposes. None of us in this room is living out some hunky dory, charmed existence. And do you know why that is? Because nobody on this planet is. It's not to be had. And those people out there that look like they've got everything working for them and they're just winning at life and every day is winning they're lying to you. It Doesn't work that way. Life is challenge, life is struggle. What the people of God know is that their God is with them in the challenge and the struggle and he's working his purposes out for them in the challenge and the struggle. I was impressed very recently I was uh, a friend recommended me that I read the classic piece of American literature It's uh, the autobiography of Frederick Douglass, one of the great abolitionists, the most eloquent preachers, teachers, orators that the United States has ever seen. Any of you ever read this book? It's his little chronicle of his days as a slave and how he won his freedom. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. It's absolutely incredible. And when Douglass was about 14, 15, 16, he was working for a slave master who wanted to break his spirit. one of the practices in our, in our nation's history is, was that in order to break the spirit of slaves, sometimes slave owners would send them to notorious slave masters who had kind of a knack for breaking their spirit. And so Douglas was a plucky young man, he was a good worker, but he was a plucky young man and his slave owner decided, I want Douglas's spirit broken. And so he sent him off to another slave master about seven or eight miles away who was an incredibly cruel man. And this man beat him, beat Douglas and abused Douglas. And one day in particular, he clubbed him over the side of the head. So he's laying there, bleeding, suffering, just, be, I mean, like thinking to himself, I just want to be dead, but well, I gotta get out of here somehow. And so he pulled himself together, and as the story goes, he marched seven miles back to his original slave owner, if you're following the story. He goes back to his original slave owner, hoping for mercy from the original slave owner. Like, this guy that you sent me to has beat me within an inch of my life. Don't send me back to him. Can I just stay with you? And he said to my shock and my dismay, my slave owner allowed me to get clean and kept me there for the night and then told me that I had to go back. So he stays there the night and he gets cleaned up and he marches the seven miles back to this slave master knowing that he is marching straight back into the pit of hell. And he heads back in and sure enough, this guy, because of his act of disobedience, this guy starts trying to beat him again. And Frederick Douglass said, that moment was the turning point in my life that I realized that if this man wanted to subjugate me, he was going to have to kill me. And he said, and something rose up in my spirit and I struggled with him for the better part of two hours until that slave owner decided he would not join me in the struggle any longer. And he said, from that point forward, he never laid another finger on me. It hardened something in him, the hunger and the thirst for freedom and also the conviction about how deep and evil slavery was. It hardened inside of Douglas and his march to freedom began. It was within a few short years that he had won his freedom and became one of the most eloquent and able speakers against the evil of slavery that our nation ever saw. Brothers and sisters, it would have been easier for Douglas anyway, for God to pluck him up out of that situation and airlift him to freedom and safety. But what would have been lost? What would have been lost? Douglas's voice may never have hardened in the way that it needed to harden. And our country would have lost that powerful voice against slavery. Guys, God does not save us From the waters of difficulty and challenge and struggle. He saves us through them. Do you understand? It was through the voice and through the experience of a guy like Frederick Douglass that God broke the back and the evil of slavery in our country. God does not save us from the waters of challenge and of struggle, but He saves us through the waters of challenge and struggle. And it's just like He does with Israel here as they're coming up out of Egypt that what God does is God knows that there's a couple of agendas that have to get accomplished for Israel. First, he's got to get Israel to believe in him. <laughs> Israel's relationship with Yahweh is a little bit shaky at this point. So the Lord knows he needs to lead them on the road by experiences that are going to crystallize confidence in Yahweh with Israel. That's agenda number one. But you know what agenda number two is for God? The back of Egypt must be broken. And if I airlift Israel up out of this situation and just plunk them down in the promised land, you know what's going to happen? The evil of Egypt is going to continue to metastasize and other people will be gobbled up by it. So the Lord leads Israel on a route that draws Egypt out and eventually breaks the back of the wickedness of Egypt. Guys, God is not just saving us from struggle, but he's saving us through struggle and he's saving the world around us through struggle, which is why James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into struggles of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance, he says, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, it doesn't say that God threw you into that or that that was the perfect plan of God for your life, does it? No, it doesn't. But he says, when you find yourself there, when you find yourself in the place of struggle and challenge, when you find yourself facing trial and temptation, you count it joy because you know that God is at work in it. God is not limited by unfavorable circumstances, guys. But God is working inside the unfavorable circumstances to lead us into his kingdom and into his glory. So James says, count it all joy. Because you know that God is doing something in you that's not only going to save you, but it's going to save the world around you. Can I get a witness this morning? This is how God operates. This is how God operates. And there are two lies. When we fall into difficult circumstances, there are two lies that we believe about them. One. We believe that we're experiencing this or I am experiencing this because my faith is defective. In other words, it's my fault. How many of you ever felt that? Well, I'm in this difficult thing because I'm a D student in the kingdom of God. And so God's got it out for me and God is punishing me and he's making my life difficult to kind of teach me a lesson. Slap in my hands so that I'll never do that stupid thing again. If you're in a difficult circumstance, it's not your fault. Now, it might be. It might be that there were some stupid things that you did that you wound up there. But when we're in those challenging seasons, we can't just simply chalk it up to, it's my fault. It's my fault. I'm in a difficult circumstance because my faith is defective. Or number two, I am experiencing this because it is God's perfect plan. In other words, it's God's fault. And between those two things, our faith is often very much short-circuited. Guys, it's not your fault and it's not God's fault but God is working inside of it. God is working inside circumstances that are not favorable. God is working inside those situations that seem like they're evil. Do you remember the great story of Joseph in the book of Genesis? Joseph, sold by his brothers into slavery, eventually comes to realize that his being sold into slavery in Egypt is actually part of how God was designing to save that whole region from famine. Do you remember this? It was his brothers had committed atrocious wickedness against him, atrocious evil. It was not God's plan A for Joseph's life, was it? But when they have their moment of reunion at the end of the book of Genesis, do you know what Joseph is able to say to his brothers? He says, you intended this to harm me, but God what? Do you know it? God intended it for good. God intended it for good. You intended this to harm me. You intended evil. You intended wickedness. But what God did is God super saturated it with His power and His wisdom so that the, the design of the enemy against me was turned on its ear and it became good not just for me and not just for Egypt. But also for those who have done evil against me, God is turning the thing for good. Guys, God doesn't save us from the waters of difficulty and challenge and struggle. He saves us through them. And he's saving the world through us, through them as well. Can I get an amen? And I'm saying that to you this morning. Stand to your feet as we prepare our hearts for communion. I'm saying that to you this morning as a deep encouragement to you, as a deep encouragement to you. Christ Jesus, the one whom you serve, the one that we love, the one that we sing about, guys, he descended into the waters with us. Christ Jesus submitted to a baptism that he did not need, and he submitted to a death that he did not deserve in order to find us in all of the places all of those places that are Red Sea places, places of temptation and challenge and struggle, I'm saying to you this morning that Jesus Christ is with you to bring you through and to lead you into a place of provision and to save the world around you.